It is indeed a great blessing for us to be together this morning. Thankful for the presence of all of you. What an encouragement to me. Thankful for those who are unable to be with us in person but are with us online. I appreciate that very much. It's excitement to see you there. And I know there are some visiting with us as well. We're grateful for your presence. Thank you for those songs as well, Eric. All themed around the Lord and around preaching and around the church. And we'll be talking about that in just a moment here from this text in Acts chapter 11. But it's a blessing to be together, not just because we enjoy being together and because we get good things from it, because the Lord has told us to be together this way. He knows that it's good for us to be together. And so we've gathered on the first of the week to honor Him. And I appreciate those who are here to encourage me in that. I want to ask you a question, though, as we get started today. And it's a question that comes up. If I can get this thing to work, sorry. <laughs> question that comes up sometime. What church do you go to? And often when I uh, am telling people about what I do for a living, they find out I'm an evangelist. They say, oh, yeah, what church? And for a long time, I kind of stumbled at that question. It's, I know what they're asking, but I don't see a clear answer to their question in the scripture. Or at least I didn't. And so I began to see these kind of bumper sticker answers around, go to the church of your choice. Literally, I've seen that on bumper stickers before. Go, go to the church of your choice this Sunday. And while that sounds like a great sentiment, trying to encourage someone to go to a church that they feel comfortable at, that's not really the issue. I'd much rather be at a church that is the Lord's choice than just something that makes me feel good. I want to be serving Christ. I want to be doing His will. And so that's kind of misguided information, misguided counsel. Go to the church of your choice. A good friend of mine in college, when I wasn't even thinking about religious things at all, certainly wasn't thinking about God, he was a, a very earnest Catholic, and he would say, well, go to the biggest church. If you're trying to find one, a billion Catholics can't be wrong, so go to the Catholic church. That way you're sure to find the truth. And as I began to study about what the Bible actually teaches, I found not only the Catholics, but many others, perhaps misguided, perhaps not so much, aren't teaching what the Bible teaches. And so why would I want to be a part of a group that is not seeking first the Lord if that's who I'm seeking to be with? And so it's not really the greatest advice, just go be where everybody is. Because what I've noticed in general, and you've noticed this, I'm sure, that most people aren't really seeking for the Lord. And so being with most people is not going to guide me to Him. And some people just have this kind of an attitude, really, there's hypocrites in all the churches. None of them are getting it right. If all the churches are the same and, and some are getting it right and some aren't and they're all mixed up in some way or another, just go wherever. It doesn't really matter. Just make an effort. That's all that God really cares about, as long as you're making an effort. But that's not what I see when I read through the New Testament. When I read the New Testament, I find that it makes a huge difference with whom I decide I'm going to congregate and if they're going to help me to seek the Lord and I'm going to be able to help them. And so as disciples of the Lord, those of us who are seeking fellowship with Christ, how should we answer this question? <laughs> and so together with other serious seekers, I began to try to answer this question in, in a different way than I see in this kind of bumper sticker uh, council. And I would say, well, I, I gather with a group of disciples and we meet in this place and we come together to sing and to worship and to take the Lord's Supper. And people would say, well, you're dodging the question. <laughs> now, what's the name of your church? And I had a hard time trying to describe, as the Bible describes, what it is that I'm a part of. But as I was struggling with that, one day I'm studying through the book of Acts, and I came on this text in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. And for the first time, the gospel has gone out into this region, and these people become members of a church, and it's so simple 
that this is the text I'll go to. If someone gives me the time, I will read through these seven verses, and my answer in the end will be, what church are they? <laughs> because that's who I want to be, and that's who I encourage you to want to be as well. And I want us to look together then at this text to see what we learn about the gospel going into this new region for the first time. And if we can emulate what they were doing, I believe the Bible has this recorded for us because we can do just that. We see this as something that was pleasing to the Lord, and I want to be pleasing to the Lord, so I'm going to seek to do things this very way. So often in Brazil, we would come across these groups of disciples that had broken off from these mega churches or even from some smaller churches because they realize they're not teaching what the Bible teaches. What they would say to us is, we are trying so hard to be just like the church we see in the book of Acts. Can you help us to do that or should we keep looking? <laughs> I thought that is perfect. That's exactly what we want too. And so, yeah, we want to help you and we want you to help us. And this is the text I would so often go to because of its simplicity. So the disciples are first called Christians in Antioch is really our concluding statement. But what do we see happens here? We find something out early on, that they were scattered from this persecution that arose over Stephen and began to travel out, and they're preaching as they travel. This is really a continuation from some things we saw back in Acts chapter 8, as this persecution with the apostle Paul, who at the time was Saul, and he stones Stephen, or has him stoned because of preaching things that they didn't like. The people began to scatter. And Acts 11 tells us they went as far as uh, Phoenicia, which is along the coast there north of Jerusalem. They're leaving from Jerusalem where the persecution began. Some went out to Cyprus, the island there, and some as far as Antioch, the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this time. A great starting point if you want to preach the gospel. You're going to reach so many people at this place. But some had spread out to these different places, and what they did as they went is the parallel we see in chapter 8, where the persecution is actually recorded for us, they went everywhere preaching the word as they scattered out. Chapter 11 picks up where chapter 8 left off. You've had sort of an interlude where we're learning about some other things, and the apostle Paul's conversion is part of that. The first uh, uh, Gentile converts is part of that. But now we come back to the story. And so these that were scattered because of the persecution went everywhere preaching the word. There's a parallel to that. In Acts chapter 11, verse 19, and in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, they went out preaching the word. But what we see in Acts 11 is, as they first went out, they're preaching only to Jews. They didn't understand yet the inclusion of the Gentiles. That's a really new thing. That's something God's been prophesying and promising since the beginning. But the Jews were closed off to that somewhat. And so they're preaching to Jews only. What I think is fascinating is if we also look at chapter 8, verse 5, what they did as they went out preaching the word, we're told... That, Philip went, that uh, yeah, Philip went into Samaria and he preached Christ to them. As they were preaching the word, what were they preaching? Well, in Acts 11, verse 20, we get a similar parallel. As they went out speaking only to the Jews, the others who went to the Hellenists began to preach the Lord Jesus. What I hope you'll see with that is that preaching the word means preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this word is about. The word of salvation, Paul says, that has come to you is that... God, in the Lord Jesus Christ, is offering salvation to everyone, all who call on his name. So preaching the word means preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. You really see that over and over. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, after Peter has talked about this man who was attested before them by God, by miracles that he did, and then they rejected him and put him on the cross, God then raised him up. And what's his concluding statement in Acts 2, verse 36? Know assuredly, all of you, that this Jesus whom you crucified, God made both Lord and Christ, 
He preached the Lord Jesus, his name, Christ. <laughs> the Lord Christ is who Peter preached. We see the same thing as we go through the text. That's what they're doing. They're preaching Christ as they go out. That's preaching the word. What did Paul tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? I made it my aim to know nothing but Christ and him crucified among you. I didn't come with great and, and swelling words of, of philosophy. I wanted to know one thing only, Christ and him crucified. And when they're starting to doubt the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he goes through the major points of the gospel. And it's Christ who died according to the scriptures, who was buried according to the scriptures, who rose again according to the scriptures, and then was seen by all these witnesses. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's preaching the word. And so we'll see the result that has as they travel out preaching the word. Well, we're told, though, that some others that originally they had only preached to the Jews... But some others who were from Cyprus and Cyrene also spoke to the Hellenists. The Hellenists is a word for these Greek-speaking people, the Greek culture people. And so people that had come not from Jerusalem, but that had come from Cyrene and from Cyprus, these places that are far away from Jerusalem, that grew up in Greek culture, they're Jews, but they grew up among the Greeks, they realized these people are lost as well. They need to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they began to speak the same thing now to the Hellenists. And so when they get to Antioch, they've traveled that far preaching the Lord Jesus. And so what is the result as they go out preaching the Lord Jesus? Well, the text tells us in Acts 11, verse 21, that the hand of the Lord was with them. You may remember that back in Acts chapter 4, after they were getting persecuted by the religious leadership, they went to God and they prayed. And they said, God, give us strength against these threats. Help us to preach with all boldness while you extend your hand to cure and to do miracles among the people while we're preaching the word. God was confirming that word of his grace. His hand was with them. Why? Because they were talking about him. <laughs> they were speaking about the Lord, and so the Lord was with them and visibly with them. And the result of that is that many believed and turned to the Lord. <laughs> when they heard preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, what else were they going to do if they believed but turn to him. And it's interesting that that's even part of Peter's conclusion in Acts chapter 3, as he's teaching those uh, members of the Sanhedrin council that have come out to tell him not to preach. He says in uh, Acts 3 verse 26, to you first, the ones who are rejecting this message, to you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Turning away from iniquities to Christ, to the Lord. And that's the idea here. People believed this message, believed this gospel, believed about the Lord Jesus Christ, and turned to Him. Now I want to talk about that for just a moment. I think it's important that we understand that the preaching here was the Lord Jesus Christ. God has designed us in such a way, He tells us this in Romans 10, He also indicates it in several other places, that our faith comes by what we hear. His desire for us is that our faith coming by hearing should be in hearing the word of God. Then our faith will be in him. The more we hear his word, the more our faith will be built up. But it's a truth that he's made us so that our faith is built on what we hear the most. The most that we listen to, that's where our faith is going to be. And so if we desire to help other people become disciples of the Lord, we want to build in them faith around Christ Jesus, what ought we to be teaching as we go out? There's no greater model than what these men did. So often what happens, though, is people will come out and they'll be teaching about the church. 
And in fact, we know some people who come and they'll, they'll knock on our doors and they want to say, I've got information about the church of so-and-so and I'd love for you to be a part of this church. Okay, well, that's well and good if it's a church that belongs to the Lord. If it happens just to be a group of people who have come together for some other purpose, they may believe they've come together for the Lord, but if they're not teaching Him, if they're not seeking Him, what purpose have they come together for? One day as I was uh, in Brazil, some people came and knocked on my door. You don't knock on the door in Brazil. You, you clap your hands outside the gate. And so I heard somebody clapping their hands and grabbed my Bible to go out and see who it was because I figured it was going to be someone wanting to teach me something from one of their Bibles. And so I walked out with my Bible and there was these four people standing there, young people. And they said, we've come to town to evangelize. And I said, great, what a wonderful thing. And they had these paper magazines in their hand. They wanted to hand me one. I said, what is that? He said, oh, we've come to evangelize. I said, what do you have in your hand? He says, well, this is a magazine that tells about all the miracles that have been done by our church over in Africa. And I said, okay, well, tell me a little bit about those miracles. He started telling me, I said, but didn't you tell me you came to evangelize? He said, I did. I said, you're not evangelizing. You're telling me about some things your church has done. Where is the gospel? He said, what do you mean? I said, the word evangelize and the word gospel are from the same root. You told me you're coming to evangelize. Evangelize. Teach me the gospel. He said, what is that? And I held up my Bible and I said, that's what's right here. You come with a magazine representing your church, but you said you're evangelizing. You're not. You're teaching something about your church, but you haven't mentioned a thing about the Lord. Even when you talk about those miracles, you say it's because of your church being there. You're not talking about the Lord. And so I began to open my Bible, and he said, who are you? I said, I'm a Christian. He said, I never heard of that. I couldn't believe it. I said, you've never heard of a Christian? He said, are you a Mormon? I said, no, I'm not a Mormon. I'm a Christian. Are you a Jehovah's Witness? I said, no, I'm a Christian. He says, I've never heard of that. I said, that's really sad. You're coming out to evangelize, and you've never heard of a Christian? The result of evangelism should be Christians, and yet you've never heard of it? You know what he did? He said, God bless you and walked away. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and there was an opportunity to teach, and they weren't willing to listen. And they were going to continue on with this magazine, evangelizing the neighborhood, without evangelizing. But I think sometimes we do the same thing. <laughs> Don't we tell people about how great it is, how simple the worship is? You've got to come be a part of this. You're, you're going to come and learn what it is to have the simplicity of teaching uh, just about the gospel. That's fine, but have we taught them the gospel when we say that? No, we've basically said, come see my church. And we'll see in a moment, the church is just us. The church is people. Now, there are good things about inviting people to come to worship. They're going to see things they're going to question. This is different than we do. But that still hasn't shown them the Lord. We need to teach people the Lord if we want them to be converted to the Lord. We want their faith to be in the Lord. We've got to share the Lord with them. That's what these men did. And the result was people believed and turned to the Lord. <laughs> if someone comes and teaches me about their church and I believe everything they say, I'm going to believe and turn to their church. <laughs> and then when their church doesn't do what the Lord does, I'm going to have believed so much that I'm just going to hang on. Well, every other church is wrong. Our church has got it right. And I'm defending a church, <laughs> a group of people. But if I'm learning who the Lord is and desiring to do His will, when the church starts falling away, I'm going to say, well, I'm going to do what the Lord says. <laughs> And I want to encourage you to stay, but if you don't want to do what the Lord says, then I can't go with you. You see the difference in that approach and how simple that is? That's what these men did, both in chapter 8 and chapter 11. That's the pattern that we see established. 
they went out preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to show you something interesting. I love this image. This is so helpful when we talk with people who've never thought about these things. In verse 22, as these people over in Antioch have believed and turned to the Lord, that's really good news, and that news gets back to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. What do you think of when you first hear that phrase? I know what I used to think before I'd really studied about it. Here's what I thought. Cool. <laughs> but I've never seen a church with ears. I mean, that's the weirdest thing you can say. Why did the Bible say it that way? The church in Jerusalem had ears? <laughs> well, certainly we can't be talking about a building. But that's usually what we even accommodatively will say sometimes. That's what people come to believe the word church means. It's a fancy building where people meet. <laughs> and sometimes it has a steeple and all kinds of other things, fancy windows. A church is a building. Anybody knows that, right? <laughs> there's this beautiful church downtown. Around here, there's lots of beautiful churches. Well, the truth is there's a lot of beautiful church buildings. And so our kids have learned even correct us. Hey, we're going to church. No, you're going to meet with the church. You're right. That's what it ought to be. Because the building doesn't have ears. Some denominational government doesn't have ears. That's not what we're talking about here. What are we talking about? We're talking about people. The church, according to this description, and according to every description we find in the book of Acts, is a group of people meeting together with the purpose of serving the Lord. That's what a church is. That's what the word means. And so ears of this church are the people in Jerusalem. And I might even define it further. These are not just any group of people. Later we'll see in Acts chapter 20 uh, that there is a group of people that come together, an assembly that's an unlawful assembly. And the same word church is used there. It's not talking about the church of the Lord. It just means an assembly of people. When we use it in this sense, those who are converted to the Lord that meet together in one place, that's a church. That's the church that we think of. And so I might define this further as the disciples meeting in Jerusalem. When they got the news, that's the church, the disciples meeting in Jerusalem, what did they do? I love this. Here's another weird thing that happened. So the right idea is we see the church as people, not a place, and not some kind of a setup, a denominational setup. But here's this weird grammar. I'm a grammar guy. I'm a, I'm a language guy. And I would read this both in English and in Portuguese, and it's like, hold on a second. It said, the church they sent. <laughs> read that again. The church, the ears of the church received this news, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Well, that's weird. <laughs> the church, that's a singular thing, right? No. <laughs> the church can't exist unless there's at least two people. At least two. Normally there's more than that. But the church is a congregating, an assembling of people. And so there can't be a single person that's a church. The church is not a singular entity. In fact, the word church is always used as a singular collective. <laughs> now we describe the church in the sense of everybody meeting together. We may talk about our family that way. We wouldn't say, I'm a family. <laughs> no, I'm a person. When I'm together with others from my family, we're a family. I belong to a family. That's the same kind of idea here. But we get this idea that the church is this organization, or it's this building, or it's this thing, but it's not. The way the verbs are used here indicate that it's people. I think that's so simple when you, when you see it that way. The church, they sent out Barnabas. It was a great thing that they did. Barnabas is the perfect man for this job. <laughs> We first meet Barnabas back in Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. And there is an offering being made of, of goods. 
The church there has some certain needs. Many people have come from all over the world and they were converted and they end up staying in Jerusalem. And so the funds are running short. Persecution is perhaps making some of them run out of, uh, of their means. And so Barnabas, we, we meet in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. A really good man. But I want you to notice the tie-in to what's going on here in Antioch. Who is this Barnabas? Well, first off, Barnabas is not even his name. That's a nickname. He's been called the son of encouragement by the apostles because of this encouraging thing that he did. And he is a Levite, which means he's a Jew. Understand the, the law of the Jews, but he's from the country of Cyprus. Where were those who were teaching the Hellenists from? Do you remember? Cyprus and Cyrene. These are men that, that Barnabas knows, perhaps, the ones from Cyprus. And the ones that they've converted are Hellenists, the kind of people that Barnabas grew up around. He understands this culture of the Greeks, and he also understands very heavily the culture of the Jews. He's the perfect man to go into this situation where you've got Jews and Greeks together for the first time in a congregation. He knows how to bridge the gap. He knows how to encourage them to serve the Lord. He knows how to teach them what they need to know to continue growing. He's the perfect man for this work. And so they send him up to help out in Antioch. When he arrives in Antioch, <laughs> I love this text. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. <laughs> now think about that for a second. It's another one of those weird phrases. Can you see the grace of God? <laughs> Most people think about the grace of God as something that you feel or something you sort of participate in, but is it visible? The Bible talks about the grace of God as something that's very visible, very tangible. What do you think Barnabas saw? Here's a man who grew up around Hellenists. He's lived on the island of Cyprus, and he's gone off now to see these Hellenists who are receiving the word of Christ. What do you think he expected to see, and what do you think he actually saw? Let's go to Titus chapter 2. Starting at verse 11, I want to show you first that the Bible speaks of grace as something visible. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has been manifest. That means made visible. My version literally says has appeared. In some versions it says has become visible to all men. Grace is visible in what way? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. <laughs> what do you think Barnabas saw when he got to Antioch? He saw Gentiles, he saw Greeks that didn't look like Gentiles. These are people who have left off worldly lust. They're living soberly, righteously, and godly. They're awaiting this blessed hope and appearing of the glorious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They're zealous for good works. This is not the kind of people Barnabas left behind in Cyprus. These are Christians, and these are dedicated servants that happen to have been Greeks by, by culture and by birth. What a difference. Paul mentions the same kind of thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I believe this is very similar to what, what Barnabas would have seen here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul's talking about how the people around the Thessalonians understood that these were different now. And he says, They themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, 
and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul said, we didn't have to preach to the people around you at all. You were already doing it. Your life and your change was preaching to them. And then the word sounded forth from you. These were people that were changed. You know why? They had turned to the Lord. That's what Paul says there in 1 Thessalonians. And that's exactly what we were told in the book of Acts. They had turned from idols to the living God. And that made all the difference. It ought to make a difference to the people around us when they see what's happened in our lives. If we have turned from our vain lives, we've turned from our worldly passions and turned toward God, we're already preaching the gospel in a sense. They're going to ask us what made that change in us. And we need to be ready to talk to them about the Lord, our Master, who is Christ. Barnabas got there and saw the grace of God. So, of course, he was glad. <laughs> it was a very exciting thing to see. And so his response to being glad was to encourage them all that they should continue with the Lord, with purpose of heart, that they should continue with the Lord. Of course they ought to. And because of that encouragement, he's the son of encouragement after all, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. We need to think about that phrase, they were added to the Lord. He's gone into this region where the, the gospel is being preached for the first time. You've got Jews who have rejected the Christ, but they're hearing about him now perhaps for the first time. They're going to accept him now. You've got these Gentiles who don't know what to expect with these men who've come in, and yet they're hearing about this man who did these amazing things for them, giving his own life to pay the price for their sins, and they're coming to him. And the Bible says they're being added to the Lord. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, the phrase is a little bit different. As those 3,000 souls were baptized that day when they heard the word of Christ, we are told the Lord was adding, and the, in, the inference here, and sometimes explicitly depending on your translation, says the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. I think literally it says added to them, added to their number, added to the ones who were believing, others who were believing. They began to grow in number. They needed each other. In Acts chapter 2, we see how their fellowship was so important. They've been getting kicked out of the synagogues. They've been getting rejected by their own families, and so they're added together first. <laughs> but then, in this text, we see they're added to the Lord. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 14, we see something similar as well. Acts chapter 5, verse 14, Believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. There's a dual relationship in the church. We have a relationship as family, one with another, that's really based on the fact that we are children of God. We are adopted sons through Christ. We're added to the Lord and therefore added to one another. Both of those are true. And we see in this case, the focus is on adding them to the Lord. It's the first time they're hearing this. We'll see later. They're in fellowship with one another as well. But they're added to the Lord here. And that's exactly what Jesus had desired. In his last prayer there in John chapter 17, as he's about to send the apostles out, he's about to leave them and then send them out with the power of the Holy Spirit and the word that's being revealed. Think about this prayer as he's asking God to add them to himself. Starting in verse 17 of John 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. 
that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus is praying for unity of truth, unity of purpose, unity of all these believers in him. He's saying, Lord, add all those who believe to us, that they may be one in us. That's God's desire. That's Christ's desire as he's sending out this word through these believers. Did you see what happened in all of those cases? I want you to see how the emphasis there is on the Lord. They went out preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them. People turned to the Lord. Barnabas didn't say, stay in the church. He said, stay with the Lord. And because of that, people were added to the Lord. I think somehow inherently we understand that this is the truth. But we betray ourselves so often. Our focus so often is not the Lord. I thanked everybody when I first got up here. Because it's such a blessing for the church to be together. I get so much from being together with you. But my focus is on Christ. What I get from being with you is you encourage me to continue serving Christ. And I pray that I encourage you to continue serving Christ. But I think sometimes we, we mislead ourselves and begin to think more of the church, us, than of the Lord. And if it weren't for Him, there would be no church. There would be no us. I want to show you a way that we betray that sometimes. You ever heard somebody say, you know, I haven't seen so-and-so in a long time. They just really need to come back to church. Or, you know, so-and-so left the church. Really? You know what I say? Yeah, they need to come back to the Lord. They've left the Lord. They haven't left the church. I mean, they have, but it's because they left the Lord first. The issue when we recognize that some members just aren't coming, it's not we're sad because they're not a part of us anymore. We ought to be saddened that something has come between their relationship themselves and the Lord. That does put a barrier in our relationship as well. We want them to be in fellowship with Christ so that we can have full fellowship with them as well. And we ought to be concerned when people have not given the, uh, uh, the importance they ought to to being together with God's people because most likely it means they're not giving the importance they ought to to the Lord. Many times I've visited someone who's been away for maybe months and I'll say, how come you don't come anymore to the midweek studies? Maybe they're coming still on Sundays. You know, it's a long drive and it's, it's really tiresome after day of work. And I'll just, I'm reading something at home. And I'll, every time I'll say, okay, what are you reading at home? And they say, well, I mean to be reading the book of Acts or whatever it may be. I'm going to start. They're not doing it now. Even though they've convinced themselves that they are still worshiping at home, when you ask them that follow-up question every time so far, the person has admitted, well, I'm really not, but I'm, I mean to be. What does that tell? <laughs> They've got some kind of a commitment to the church. They'll be here on Sundays, maybe not even that as much. But they don't really have a commitment to the Lord because unless they're together with the Lord's people, they're not going to be talking to the Lord or studying His Word. I fear for that kind of an attitude. Barnabas came to, their, to the church in Antioch and he said, you with purpose of heart, continue with the Lord. You stay with Him no matter what. Barnabas was going to have to leave eventually. The ones who went there and taught them we're going to have to leave eventually, but the Lord would always be with them if they were seeking the Lord. The man who baptized me, after I came up out of the water and we were talking there for a few minutes, he said, now I want you to, I want you to hear something and listen carefully. I don't care what you hear about me. If I fall away, if you find out I'm an adulterer, if you find out I'm thieving, whatever, I'm, whatever you find out negative about me, you don't leave the Lord. <laughs> you did not get baptized for my sake. You came to Christ. He said, if you find out later I'm not doing well, you come and help me, but don't leave the Lord. 
And at the time that he said that, I thought that was the strangest thing. You know, is this man planning on doing some evil things? Gratefully, no. He's still serving the Lord very faithfully. Just saw him recently. But he told me that, and later as I pondered that, I thought about what great wisdom that was. I was baptized, and in two weeks, I left from the place where I had been baptized and went to a completely strange place to me, among a whole new people that I'd never known that were serving the Lord. But the Lord was there with me, even though the man who had taught me and baptized me wasn't. It was important for me to learn that. And it's important that we teach that as we're teaching others about the Lord, but not first about the church. Now, the church will come. The Lord and His church, the church is His body. It's going to be an important part of the discussion. And we find out the church comes into play here. But the church was never the focus. The Lord is the focus over and over again. But because they taught about the Lord, and because people were added to the Lord, there's a church in Antioch. For a whole year, they assembled with the church. Barnabas went to get Saul. He figured, there's a lot more to do here than I can handle. I need a good teacher. And he knew that Saul was a good teacher. And he went and he brought him back. And for a year, they assembled with the church. What we see in that, really, is that the church is a result of preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is a result. Some people have the idea that Jesus was going to make a church, like set up this place, and then he's going to go find some people to fill it up. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus built his church through the gospel. As people began to hear and be brought to him, added to him, and then to one another, then the church began. If there had never been a single convert, there would never be a church. The church is the result of preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever else is preached may result in something, but it's not going to be the church of our Lord. If we're preaching something else that's not the Lord Jesus Christ, the result of that is not going to be the church of our Lord. We need to be very careful about that. That's a huge responsibility, both to the listener and to the one who's speaking. Notice the purpose here. They met for a whole year with the church there and taught a great many people. That is the main work of the church. You get these ideas that the church is more of a social club. We're just making sure everybody stays okay. <laughs> Make sure nobody's sinning anymore. And we've got a lot of rules so nobody sins. Well, that's a good thing. That is not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to teach. It ought to be teaching its members to grow, but certainly ought to be teaching the lost. They taught a great many people in Antioch because they understood the purpose of the church, to glorify God through that teaching. And so, as a result, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now that's kind of strange. Why didn't they call them Antiochans? <laughs> well, they already were that. They've got something new that they are identifying with, and that is the Lord, Christ. They're named after Him. Why didn't they call them something else? <laughs> this is part of that question, what church do you go to, and part of where the answer comes in now. Because as I walk down the street and I ask somebody, what religion are you? Well, they'll say something like, well, I'm Baptist or you know, I'm a Jehovah's Witness or I'm Mormon or I'm Hindu or whatever the answer may be. But where does that answer come from? Well, it comes from where their faith is, which comes from what they heard. To be a Mormon, you have to have heard the preaching of Mormon doctrine. To be a Baptist, you have to have heard preaching of Baptist teaching. To be a Jehovah's Witness to be a Hindu, to be whatever you are religiously, you had to have begun with that seed that came from that religion. If I want to be a Christian, and just a Christian, that some people have never heard of, where does that seed come from? Well, it comes from preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. If we will preach Christ, the result in good hearts will be Christians. 
But people will say to me, well, that can't be done today. Because what's going to happen is someone will be going down the street and they'll see a church and they'll just go in there because that's convenient. Or they'll see this church and they don't like what it's in, so they'll jump to another one because that's convenient. And finally, they'll find a place where they're comfortable and that's what's going to happen. You can't do this, what they did in the first century, because now people have all these options. And I say hogwash. I've seen it done. I've been where it's been done. I want to first give you a kind of an imagined example to show that it's possible through this illustration. Then I want to tell you about a real place where this happened and we'll finish out the lesson that way. But let's imagine today that we're all on a cruise together going across the Pacific Ocean. We don't know each other. None of us has any kind of religious affiliation. We've never studied the Bible. We don't know really anything about God at all. We're on this cruise and as we're going across the Pacific Ocean, the boat sinks. We all survive. We all swim to this desert island. The only thing on the island is a bunch of food and this big box of Bibles that floats up off that boat. We got nothing to do. So we start reading the Bible. And as we read, we begin to become convicted about this God who claims to have created the world and then about this problem of sin and then about how he resolved that problem of sin by sending his own son to become a man, to live a perfect life, and then to die on behalf of every single person that's ever sinned. And we begin to understand what the Bible says we need to do. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. And so we believe and we begin to baptize one another right there. There's plenty of water around this island. And so what do we call ourselves? Oh, we're the shipwreckers. All right, we're now the church of the shipwrecked. Possibly. I mean, that's a description. But wouldn't we all really just call ourselves Christians? That's who we've become. We've become like the one that we're following. That's what Christian means. We may say we're the Christians on the island. That may describe us for a moment. But then after three years, finally the lifeboats come and find us. And they bring us all back home. And we all go back to the cities we are from. I go back to Louisville. You guys go back to West Virginia. Some of you go to Ohio. And we all go back and we begin to tell people that are around us of this amazing thing we found while we were on the island. We begin, to pre we begin to preach Christ to them. And they begin to be converted. And then do we get excited and say, yes, you're islandites also, yes. No, that doesn't make any sense. But that's what happens religiously. Places where a certain doctrine is taught then that name gets tied to that doctrine. And people who believe that doctrine become that thing or some aspect of that doctrine like Methodism or baptism or something gets tied to that and that becomes their name, their claim to fame. And then if you want to be like us, you have to adhere to what we're teaching here. If I want someone to become a Christian, I just teach them what Christ taught and let them choose to follow him. So those of us who are on the island will encourage people to become Christians, not islandites. We don't say, you got to do it the way we did on the island. We say, you got to, with purpose of heart, remain with the Lord. Do it the way the Lord says. I went into a small town in Brazil. There were 2,000 inhabitants. We were actually just stopping by because we knew a guy there who had been reading some of our material. We were on our way, me and my father-in-law, to another town where we had a bunch of contacts. We stopped in like on a Thursday, and the one guy who we had a contact with had a bunch of people gathered together. It kind of looked like Cornelius's house. And he said, all these people from my church have been curious about these things I've been studying. So they said, since you're coming, can we study? I'm like, yeah. That night, we baptized five people. And so my father-in-law said, look, we've got a commitment the next day in this other town. I need to go. Can you stay? I said, well, sure. So I stayed in this town with these five people. We walked around that whole town getting other people to study with us and brought them back for some other studies at the, this man's home. And for like a week, I spent with them teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ and how to follow his teachings. Because what they said is, next week you're leaving, what do we do? I said, well, let's look and see what you do. 
I don't have an instruction manual. I've got the Bible, the same one you've got in your hands. And so we began to look together at the Bible. And so what happened in that little town where these people had come out, some of a Presbyterian church, some out of a Catholic church, some out of these denominations, they had come together seeking the Lord and they were converted to Christ. You know what they called themselves? Christians. We are the church of the Lord that meets in the town of Palmital. There were five Christians meeting there. After a while, there were ten. And it was because they were teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ in this little town. It can be done. Even where there's churches on every corner, if you have people that are seeking to do the will of the Lord, they'll find it. The Lord promises if you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it'll be opened. And there are people that are seeking and that are knocking. What's important is that we take them the word of the Lord Jesus Christ and that they become Christians also. So the question remains, what church do you go to? And I ask that to all who are listening. to be thinking about this question. What church do you go to? Well, think about what we saw here. Here's a great question. Did you respond? Are the people there people who responded to preaching about the Lord? Or was it about getting rich? Or about being healthy always? Or was it about being a part of something that's bigger than you? Whatever the message was, was it the Lord that was the draw? Because so often it's not. Did you turn to the Lord? Or did you find somebody there that you really related to, that you really liked? I, Pastor so-and-so is just a great guy. I can't, can't leave him. Is he teaching about the Lord? If he's not, you better leave him. You better bring him with you to the Lord. Have you turned to the Lord is the question. Are you now being taught and encouraged to continue with purpose of heart with the Lord? Or is it something else that's the focus? Where you go to church. Have you been added to the Lord? That's, a, that's the question. Because if you hadn't, haven't, on the day of judgment, there's going to be a huge surprise. In Matthew chapter 7, there were several people who said, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these great wonders in your name? And Jesus said, I don't know you. <laughs> Depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. They were people who thought they'd been added to the Lord. And he says, I'm not sure who you are. <laughs> That's a sad day. The reality is it's not a question of going to a church. It's a question of becoming his church. And that includes growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ continually. Once we learn of Him, He's the Lord. He's got the right to decide what we do. We want to learn more and more and more. We want to sit at His feet and learn. And if we don't, perhaps it's not the Lord we're seeking. There's something we need to be looking at and diagnosing in our own hearts. Am I seeking to grow in Him and to continue with Him with purpose of heart? I ask all of this to ask, would you become a disciple of the Lord today? Maybe you've already been calling yourself a disciple of the Lord, but a disciple is one who is disciplined in seeking what the Master teaches. Are you disciplined in seeking what the Master teaches? If not, become a disciple of the Lord today in the truest sense. Follow Him and with purpose of heart continue with Him. But if you haven't even made that first step, if you've only sort of been seeking and trying to find a church, something that makes you feel comfortable, I urge you to go further. Seek something that's going to be fulfilling for your soul and that will glorify the Lord, that'll take care of your deepest need, which is Him and the forgiveness of your sin so that you can be in fellowship with Him. And you can only do that if you respond to preaching about the Lord. He can't be your Savior if He's not first your Lord, and Jesus is the only one who can do that. Today, we've been talking about preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would come to Him confessing your sins, confessing that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, repentant and willing to have your sins washed away in baptism, we can make you a disciple today. We can help you become one today. It's the Lord who will do it for you. 
And if you have been struggling with being a disciple, you need the help of these disciples here. We want to encourage you as we stand together and sing this song.